Hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, our 11th episode of the Genuine Men's Chat Zoom Live. Um, just in case if you haven't uh, been with us before, Genuine Men is a movement consistent of a show, a podcast, a workshop, and now weekly Zoom Lives that express the often unheard honest views of men from various backgrounds, cultures, religions, and life experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform to express their views, their thoughts, their perspectives, and obstacles in life with other men on topics that impact them personally, their families, their community, their society as a whole. It's an unfiltered and unadulterated look at what it looks like to live the life of a man from a man's perspective. I'm the host. I'm a genuine men's chat um, coach, um, or a genuine men's coach. Sorry, um, and I'd like to welcome our genuine man today, Alan. Welcome. Hello. And I'd also like to celebrate the return of our guest speaker, Tobias Hofmeister. Um, welcome, Tobias. Thanks so much. I'm going to remind everyone who Tobias is. Um, as a spiritually awoken high achiever, Tobias serves other uh, spiritually awakened high achievers in living a life of meaning and purpose with values of growth and belonging. He's devoted to fostering deep connection. He's also an author with a book that's coming out in 2020, so stay tuned, on the topic of his five dimensions of deep connections. As superhumans, he works on blurring the lines between business and spirituality. He nurtures a community using positive people who are curious to explore deep into their human experience and the impact that they create in the world. Wow, what a background. So before we get started, actually, um, Tobias, we've never delved into a bit about the deep connections and superhumans. You want to shed some light on that so that people better understand your, your, your background? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really, for, for me, superhumans is very much, it's one of these labels from the heart, you know, where I feel it's the ultimate self-expression in form of, of a movement, a company, a cause. And so the, the five dimensions that we're looking at is when we look at deep connection, the connection to oneself, and then the connection to other people, the connection to our work. And where work is really one dimension of how we express ourselves in the world. And then connection to the environment and nature as everything that surrounds us in a way is kind of like a 3D vision board. And it's the same with the people, the people we surround ourselves with, they make effectively who we are. And then the last I mentioned is connection to a spirituality, to our higher self. And yeah, when these like five things come together, there's some, some beautiful magic that begins to happen. Does it have any correlation to yoga or Buddhism in, in some way? Because I'm, I'm sensing chakras here. I mean, it is, I think it's like, parts from from these traditions I, I think there's this really beautiful combination from like wisdom traditions combined with business combined with technology and once these three circles come together i feel it's where, where some some really exciting things start to emerge and i think what has been for me is that the more i actually invest in my own well-being and my own growth the more everything around me sort of starts growing because I mean, I am ultimately the common denominator between all aspects of my life. And so if stuff goes to shit, then uh, there's probably something wrong in like how I relate to the world rather than it must be this person or that person or that environment, you know? So, and I think that was the big shift for me once I started looking at, okay, what's actually my patterns and all of that, where, yeah, the deep connection to myself then makes all the other deep connections available. 
So it's really true when, when they say, when the student's ready, the teacher or the master appears. Oh, I mean, I totally buy into that. And just had another one of these experiences like today and one yesterday. And it, it's really, I feel once there's this movement from feeling the world is against me to I'm in flow with the world, that yeah, there's like teachers coming from all over the place, which is really, really exciting. Amazing. So does flow have anything to do with superhumans then? I mean, for me, superhumanity really is, is this ability to like tap into flow at will and being in flow with life and being in, in the state of receivership effectively, you know, instead of being like, no, I don't want all these things. It's like, okay, like what are actually the gifts that are wrapped in basically the pain or the gifts that are wrapped in something beautiful and really, yeah, taking everything as an opportunity to learn rather than this opportunity to feel self-victimized in a way. And I think this is the, the big sort of reframe. And then, I mean, the, the other elements of what I feel is, is being superhuman is to, because I was a super, super cerebral person. You know, I felt like I was basically living in my head, sort of like from my neck up. And the big, big shift for me is that more and more I'm actually connecting into my body and really using my body as an, this, this tool for sensing. And I feel there's sort of my intuition. And once I established that cool dual relationship, which I mean, there's always an evolution. There's so much richer of an experience of life, which really excites me. There's a, there's a beautiful concept you're reminding me of um, when I was undergoing my um, updating of my certification skills as a coach. And it's a, con it's a concept of connection between the being and the doing. So the being is the spirituality, the reflection, the introspection, being in nature and just feeling that flow of being at one with everything around you. But then there's that doing component, which most of us are spending most of our time every day in. It's how we measure what is important, how we measure success, how we measure productivity, how we measure importance, how we measure status, how we measure abundance even, or wealth or whatever that may be, that it is how we measure it. It's all by doing. So the beautiful component of that bridge between the being and the doing or the co-active approach of, of living, it taught me a really important thing that you, you've just in, um, reminded me of is that it's not really a work-life balance. It's the balance between the being and the doing. So when you're connected to you from within, then it's not about the doing. It's about the being because it's all of you coming forth into your being every single moment of the day, whenever you can. And I know, Alan, you were just talking about, you know, being turned on and being positive all of the time. That's not realistic, obviously. So when we are faltering or when we're struggling or when we, um, like you just said, Tobias, not falling victim to something, but being um, impacted by it, a negative surge of any kind, then we have choice to either do or to be or bridge that gap so that we're coming from within, we're coming from our bodies, we're coming from our mind highway to our body and our heart and our soul or spirit connected. So it's it's more holistic approach. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's beautiful. This is being, doing um, dualism. Because it, it, ultimately I think it's, it's not a dualism. It's, it's like a, a oneness. The, the way I'm looking at it is it's really sort of the masculine energy and the feminine energy. And 
that is something that you know it's like men have feminine energy and i mean women have masculine energy so it's basically it becomes like really sort of like interesting in that space but i, I think what's quite exciting is to really be in a state of being to receive but then only being in a state of being is, is it's also like what are you doing for the world and i think then the the element of, of doing is, is really important at least for me i'm beginning to see more and more this kind of doing from a place of intuition so kind of doing from a place of being effectively where i feel open to the world to receive and then respond presently rather than responding from sort of like a past pattern and so i i find the active sort of the doing is really really important because i mean within the doing is also i feel the overcoming of fear in a way where something i effectively put myself on the line for potential criticism or judgment or whatever but then when, when i when, yeah i mean this is an interesting one i think the vulnerability piece because a friend of mine who was saying like vulnerability is such a weird concept because if you have nothing to hide then you're not vulnerable you know so effectively vulnerability is is only there if it feels if you need to prove something for someone so his thing is like Dude, wait, wait, hold, fully... hold a second. Whoa, uh, that's big. Okay, so the distinction, and Alan, I'd love to get your input on this as well, um, now or at a later time. So you're saying, Tobias, vulnerability only comes up if you have something to prove to someone. That blows the concept out of the water for me in a bit, in a way, um, because it's it, it hasn't been defined for me in, in such a way. Could you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the... So I got into it like through Brene Brown effectively, where she was talking a lot about sort of vulnerability. And at that time, I felt I had done quite a few kind of shitty things in life. And so I felt like basically I was putting up this facade, you know, and like having the world respond to the facade of Toby rather than actually the real, real me. And so at that point, it felt always like speaking a bit more truth was this moment of making myself more vulnerable. But then the question is like, what am I actually making myself vulnerable to? Because once I fully accept who I am and that I have taken some missteps in the past, given that those were the best steps I could take at the time, knowing all the things that I knew at that moment in time, then I'm perfectly okay. You know, I actually, I'm, I'm not going out and needing that other person's approval. So in fact, I'm actually not making myself vulnerable. So I think the distinction is really as, as long as I'm fully rooted in who I am and think, okay, you're actually an awesome person. Yes, you have done a few things in the past that hurt other people or that were like not totally legitimate in terms of also the legal things then and then i feel there's this notion of fear of or if this person knows that then there will be some sort of like bad implication so it's effectively a really childish thing so i feel that's the the interesting um transition once we are really fully an adult and take full responsibility for what we experience and who we are and we're not saying things to somebody because we hope that they will like us for it but we're just saying it because it's the truth from what we we know and then also i mean be willing to be totally wrong 
and be open to the conversation with this other person saying like no this is not how i see it and then i think it's another beautiful opportunity to actually have this generative dialogue and yeah so when my friend said it, i was like huh that's awesome this whole thing of vulnerability is complete bogus you know as long as i'm actually becoming like fully authentic then i have nothing to be vulnerable about then i'm rooted in in who i am and some people will resonate with that and some people will be repelled by it and that is just life. And I mean, for me being a people place in the past, you know, this was a really great revelation where I felt like, yes, freedom. I mean, ultimately that's liberation, I feel. That's ultimate freedom of, and then at that point it really unlocked amazing energy to go do whatever I felt I wanted to do. And yeah, I think that's, that's the notion of stepping into abundance at that point. So where, liberation, oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, no, go ahead. no, please finish. Yeah, the, the thing is, it's stepping into, into abundance at the time and sort of this liberation and freedom and I think the authenticity just make, I feel there's a certain degree of magneticism to the people I want to work with and to the people I want to spend time with that, yeah, just sort of like flow towards me rather than me needing to, yeah, really put myself out there in a way. So I guess it goes back then to flow. Yeah. It's a good, good way of saying it. So liberation equals ultimate freedom of, of voice and choice. Sorry, what was that? I was saying liberation from what I've heard from you, liberation equals ultimate freedom of voice and choice. I totally feel you on that. Yeah. And I think that's in so many ways what's I feel underlying that that life anyway, and and I mean I think in a lot of spiritual traditions that's the like highest way, you know, like when we always talk about kind of like peeling back the layers of the onion, which is this you know funny metaphor in a way. It's ultimately kind of like letting letting fully go of all the things I needed to prove, where I felt I had to prove to be worthy of love, or I had to prove to be deserving of approval and, and I mean for that I found all these kind of workarounds of getting good grades in school or being very likable or taking out the trash when I really didn't want to take out the trash but I felt like okay if I do this then my partner was say Toby thank you you know and I mean but this is like all, all these things where effectively I trade a moment of I want to be liked for a little dose of resentment that I hold against that person then and so yeah I mean I think honestly, honesty is just the ultimate key. And I mean, delivering honesty with compassion, obviously, like not delivering honesty from, from a place of wanting to be mean to someone, but delivering honesty from a place of love is what I have found for my own life to be very, very satisfying. I have a question. Go for so it. I totally agree with you in terms of honesty, and that's how I live my life with my partner. That's how I live my life in business. Uh, whenever there's an issue, I um, attack the problem straight away. Uh, make uh, I give a constructive constructive criticism, and I am very honest with a lot of people. And uh, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. Now, I'm also reading this book about human nature, and uh, it's called the Laws of Human Nature. And there, I recently. I read something interesting um, that it mentioned that 
in general, human in human nature, people don't like to hear the truth. Um, they don't uh, want to hear the truth. Um, so the approach of saying always the truth and always being honest is not the right one. And it kind of confused me because it's, it is a little bit against who I am. And it's because, as I said, I live this. This is actually liberating to be able to admit to something like a weakness or saying that, you know, talk about a weak side, uh, uh, something bad um, I have done in the past or um, some mistakes that I've done in a relationship or in my private life in general. Uh, but when I read something like this, I then wonder if it's true that some people just wouldn't accept their honesty and wouldn't accept the, the reality. I mean, I think that is an interesting one. When we speak about reality, I find my, my personal view is that we, we all see, let's say, one aspect of reality. And depending on how we affect grow up we have a different filter through which we yeah filter all the stimuli and impulses and sensations that we could experience and then there's only a certain yeah, number of them that actually come to our real conscious awareness so i i feel we're all right with the with the reality that we see and i think that's where it's important to effectively be open to have this generative conversation where it's not about being right or wrong, but about being curious of, okay, how do you actually see the world or how do I see the world? And then it's, it's a beautiful opportunity for actually both people to learn and grow and experience something new. And so when you spoke about that, some people might not like the truth or, or your honesty, it's, it's a funny one because the, the question is, is it your responsibility to make that person like you or are you more invested in actually delivering kind and compassionately what you feel is right for you in that moment and actually you know standing up for your own needs and for your own perspective and then the, the, the thing where I said like maybe having done something kind of like bad in the past mm -hmm. there because it's, it's, a, it's a frame you put on it, right? Because at the time, it might have been the best thing that you knew what you could do with sort of the knowledge and the situation that you were, were, were faced with. So um, basically, I, I have this fundamental core belief that we all do the best thing all the time with the given information and abilities that we have at the time. And then there's this whole framing of like, it's been bad. I think it puts maybe a notion of I shouldn't have done it rather than actually seeing like that was important for me to actually learn and to arrive to the point where, where you are today. I, I completely understand. And I think that totally makes sense. I'm only wondering what happens in a situation when you've been, I'm not saying it's me, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you... Uh, if you committed a crime or if you horrible and you do have to admit to someone, I don't know, your partner, or I don't know, you, you've been in a porn movie or whatever, you did something that you're really, really ashamed about, or it's against, it has been against the law. And 
in that part yeah you become invulnerable you cannot be like oh just carefree like oh yeah i've been in a porn movie or yeah i've done you know i've stolen uh you know thousands of pounds or whatever right i mean it i guess it depends like where where you where you put it so for example i like cheated on my my, my previous partner and it's been one of these funny ones because you know we had a long distance relationship and yeah there was like this this moral sort of like in just misalignment within me and but it was this weird guilt that i carried around for the whole time instead of actually like admitting it and saying so early and i think what, what it actually you see the, the, the moment I, I told the truth was actually the moment when I mean, things started falling apart, but also in, in other ways where actually things lifted off me, you know, instead of basically carrying the burden of having done something like years ago and then still having made a decision to get married and have babies. And because there, there was this inherent feeling of she's really, really amazing. And I love the way she loves me. And I, I'm so inspired by spending time with her and equally knowing that I have like kissed someone else and like went home with somebody else and did them where like at the time, you know, I, I was in countries like halfway around the world from her and I felt like lonely, but also it wasn't really, I, I didn't feel sort of the degree of, of trust to actually be like, Hey, I feel really alone, you know, I'm like in, in China right now and like there's all these like weird things that I don't really understand. And all I would want is just be with you and hang out in the States and, you know, have all like fun, awesome college life together. And I mean, that really, I feel it comes basically a bit back to what we wanted to talk about with the childhood trauma today in a way, where I feel trauma shows up over and over and over and over until it gets healed. And so my thing was that I felt like I couldn't open up about my emotions of, of lack or my emotions of actually being sad to women because my mom, the way we related was always that as long as I meet her emotional needs, she'll maybe offer a little bit of loving for me, you know? And <clears throat> I feel this maybe it goes even further back where I felt when I was a kid and needed to stay in the hospital without her, then I felt like, oh, okay, I must not be lovable. So I must do every single thing in order for her to, yeah, look after me, you know? So I must be like really good and easy and pleasing her and da da da. So I must not be a burden effectively. That was, I think, the story that I told myself. And so, I mean, that is how the relationship with her evolved and so I felt I was carrying always her emotional burden and as long as I was happy and da -da, then everything was good and that is then something that I've basically taken into relationships with other women where I mean my first girlfriend was suicidal and <clears throat> it was exciting for a while to be with her but at some point it felt this immense emotional labor that I needed to kind of like work through and at some point I was I actually can't do it but I also wanted didn't want to break up with her because I just didn't want to know that, you know, I was responsible for somebody's suicide. And I mean, this is an interesting one because it would have never been my responsibility. 
But the, the thing is that, I mean, trauma isn't really the situation that I went through. Trauma is the lack of having a compassionate witness to actually talk it through with. And so this is where I feel I didn't feel the sense of safety in my home to just be like, hey, I really don't fucking know what to do. You know, I am in this thing and feel really drained. I mean, my parents even supported me to actually live with her at our own home because she was having issues with her own parents. And so she effectively moved in with me when I was like, do my like A-levels and in high school. And yeah, so then I think this, this pattern just kind of like repeated. And so with now my, my latest partner was the same thing where I felt like for me, it was challenging to be like, hey, I'm feeling really fucking drained. You know, I just need you to hug me or I don't want to get up this morning with the kids. It's, it's, it's your time. You know, but I felt always this notion of, you know, as long as I please her, I will be worthy of her love in a way. And yeah, so I feel that that was kind of the, the thing in the meantime as well, where we had this long distance relationship. And for me, instead of being on Skype and saying, I really freaking miss you. And I'm actually really not happy where I am right now and feel really isolated. And I felt like, okay, let's maybe numb that pain and see if there's some interesting Chinese woman I could spend some time with. And so on. Um, yeah, I feel, but then only by actually writing that letter to her and saying, hey, like those are the things that I've never told you that I feel stand between you and I. I feel that it's, I mean, at first it's definitely a breakdown. And I mean, we, we separated and I think there's been a lot of hard feelings. And now there's this interesting experience that I'm going through where actually opening up to the possibility of, of love for her again. You know, so I feel it's this thing where I once made a commitment and I meant that commitment, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is the funny part of love because it's not about actually being in love with someone, but it's, it's about this deeper experience of actually further and further opening up and becoming more and more honest about like every single thing that we sort of like carried through life. And that's, I feel, where, where really the interesting journey happens, where really the healing from the trauma, and I feel healing can only happen when actually people come together and you know, the trauma is re-triggered and then boom, you will blow some shit up. And there is, I think depending on how mindful and aware we are at the time, we can navigate and sail through it or potentially create some more pain. And then, I mean, there's like ways where, you know, you can either try to mask the pain or actually just be present and be like, wow, that actually has really affected me as a kid. And equally knowing that I'm no longer that kid, you know, I'm someone who can now basically bear witness to this child's pain and just reconnect and say like, hey, I imagine this was really tough for you, but not that. And I love you and I'm here and we'll, we'll sail through that and make, make different choices going forward. Because I think this is the other thing. It's not good enough to if you go back and say sorry, but it's like, hey, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. This is what I'll do going forward to change the behavior, you know? So a bit of perspective on that.
being that the topic is childhood trauma, would you like to shed more light on the concept itself? I mean, I think it's it's well understood by many people, but it's also a big concept and it's quite vague. Would you like to dig a little deeper and, and, and kind of give us the essence of why you've chosen this topic to be our topic? Absolutely, absolutely. So the, I mean, I, I feel like I experienced a lot of it, but I never understood really what childhood trauma was until <clears throat> really looking at, I think Gabo Mata has been very in, yeah, in, insightful and has given me a lot of understanding. And so one of the things that he's saying is that like trauma in general, it's not really just the bad things happening to you, but it's also good things that should have happened that didn't happen. And I feel for me, I definitely went through this period of blame and, and kind of blaming my parents for sort of the childhood that I experienced. Which really put me in a position of actually being a victim of that experience rather than being kind of empowered and the person who sees the gift in, in all of it. And so when I then after after ending the relationship with my previous partner, we I really noticed there was so much behaviors in my life that were driven by all these different modes of the childhood that I had experienced. And I wanted to talk about childhood trauma because our adult lives, I feel in so many ways, unless we heal our childhoods, it's becoming like very confusing. And we have lives that are driven by who we once were rather than by who we are. So when we, well, from, from my own experience, so I, for example, I was in, in school, we always, when we were sick, we borrowed some folders from someone else and then we could like copy their notes. And so there was this one girl in my class that I really, really liked. And so I was like, okay, awesome. I'm like borrowing her folder. And then, you know, I made this little like laughing for her. And when I give it back and then basically coming back to school, like all her friends made fun of me. I was just like, oh, this is like miserable. But equally, I knew I, I, it didn't feel like could go back to my parents. It's like, hey, you know, I feel like really, really hurt. And so my, my body stored sort of like all the like pain and these feelings rather than being able to express it and, and share it, for example, with my dad or my mom. And so I feel the, the importance of childhood trauma is that many of us, I mean, we all have had childhoods and we have experienced some things that really caused pain or we haven't had experienced certain things that actually would have really helped us to grow as people. And so from that perspective, I think as adults, it's super important to kind of go back and actually look at how did we experience certain things and to then see it patterns, like what, what is coming over and over and over. Because once I felt for myself to be in a position to become more honest with it and step away from that notion of blaming and victimizing. So I know 
well, I mean, last year and then a few years before, where I felt this man, this has been like the most horrendous childhood that anybody could have ever had. And what it really did for me was not agency in any situation. And that is why I became so interested in childhood trauma. Because as long as I see that something happened to me and I'm the victim of that situation, then I only see how it basically hurt me or affected me in a negative way. Where then a the big thing shifted for me from my life is actually not happening to me, but it's happening for me. And that's where I then began to see, wow, like every single thing has actually been a gift. And instead of blaming my parents for maybe not loving me enough or giving me the incentive to have good grades all the time, where I felt like, to be honest, I just wanted unconditional love. But love or appreciation was always given if I got a good grade. And then I feel like, awesome, okay, now I figured it out. Just go to school, get good grades, and boom, there will be your appreciation and your love and maybe some financial rewards from your grandparents and stuff like this. And so I felt like I actually didn't want any of that. You know, I didn't want any of this like high achievement stuff. While now I see it's actually, it's been a gift. You know, I have had the ability to travel around the world and study at four different universities and really spend a lot of time actually educating myself and actually really enjoying the pursuit of, of knowledge as well. And so instead of seeing it as, whoa, you should have just loved me and I would have had this awesome life. It's like, no, I mean, they did what they could with what they had, you know, I mean, one of my grandparents has been an orphan. The other one has been basically the child of, of a rape as far as I understand. And then she married someone who was blind. And so I think my mom grew up with a father who I think never really appreciated her for maybe her beauty or just her, her being. Cause I mean, he couldn't, really see her you know so <clears throat> and then i think that's something that she carried with her and effectively passed on and so on over the last month so i think in the beginning or in, in the end of last year it was actually the first time in my life that i could tell my parents hey i love you because it's something that i feel i've actually never heard them say to me and so i did this whole thing i think they just didn't hear it from their parents that they were loved and appreciated and then that also showed in their relationship, which was in then many ways the, the model for my relationship. It was also funny when I started having my first kids, I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> I, I, I want kids, but I feel like my, my life is going to end, you know, because my parents, they, I feel they live this really boring life in a, in a way of, yeah, it, it, it seemed like so strenuous in a way to have kids. And so when my partner got pregnant, I was like, in some ways, it's like really, really exciting to actually start this family. And equally, it's, it felt all my freedoms were going to be robbed in a way. Which then really comes back to this childhood trauma thing, because I noticed, wow, instead of actually taking the present moment and creating an awesome family of whatever way I want, I brought, okay, this is what a family looks like. And could we cut a solution over? And then, yeah, I effectively felt I created that type of family that I actually didn't want. And so the interesting piece with childhood trauma is 
to me that there has really an addiction to a certain chemical state. And I think my sort of like body chemistry was body chemistry of like being made feel guilty or so my grandpa, for example, came around quite often and he, he was a hurt man and equally he just like put it off, you know, so he, like I, I was a pretty skinny kid and I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm very sort of like lean and athletic and he would always say like, Toby, I can't play piano on your ribs. And it made me feel that sense of, of body shame in a way of like, oh, I must not be like pretty enough. And, or if we didn't eat some, some fatty meat, for example, he would call us some like German swear words. And so as, as a kid, it didn't seem weird or like he, he spoke to my, my grandma in like super demeaning ways. And I remember my brother and me, we were sitting upstairs sometimes just like laughing about this stuff, you know? And so they, they had this like their wedding anniversary and my brother and I, we were writing up these jokes that my grandpa would say to my grandma. And we just <laughs> rolled on the floor laughing effectively about the meanest shit. But it didn't occur to us that it's actually like totally inappropriate to speak to a partner like that. And so yeah, in, in many ways, I feel trauma doesn't really become so apparent unless the context is then changed. And so when we then started having our own family and I was like, oh, whoa. like what does it actually mean to create a healthy family? What does a healthy family even look like? And so in, in many ways that also brought up for me how I related to my parents because without my, my former partner, I would have not understood sort of the level of entanglement that uh, existed with my mom, for example, and the sort of like people-pleasing aspects that I had within me. So in, in that, while it's been really painful to go through this relationship and also the breakup of it and yeah, now a process of like taking responsibility, it's, I feel what I, what I notice is really the, um, the shift to, wow, she's actually one of my greatest teachers and equally my parents are some of my greatest teachers and my siblings. And so seeing everybody being a teacher rather than people who like intentionally wanted to hurt me. And that was my previous notion of like, oh, they wanted to intentionally hurt me. They could have done it better. And no, they did what they could. They, they showed the love that they knew that they were able to show. And now I'm really, really freaking grateful for everything that I yeah, was experiencing and have experienced so far. Because they, they've all been gifts on this journey. I would not be here having, I feel, the deeper understanding of myself if I wouldn't have experienced of that and yeah i would not be speaking to these amazing people that i'm meeting these days or would have not traveled to these awesome countries that i've been at or i wouldn't have these two beautiful kids or yeah like none of that would would be in my life at the moment if i wouldn't have had any any of these experiences and it's i think really opened me up to actually look more inside which then creates that level of real expansiveness and effectively becoming increasingly harder to yeah like hurt in any way because it's like okay I, I can actually 
survive it you know there's a sense of resilience i feel that comes when pain is looked at and then like through looking at it and speaking about it it's it's healed i can totally relate um it's it's amazing what we learn as we get older and we look back and we kind of rethink what our parents told us over the years and then once you get older you realize oh i'm actually becoming similar i see their perspective and i really can just echo what you said about the parents doing what uh, they could with the knowledge and tools they had they've done their best um, in my case, my parents were, my mom was 19 and I was 20 uh, and uh, my dad was 21 when uh, I was born. Wow. Uh, so they did their best uh, to, with whatever they had, they had nothing really in terms of financial stability. They, I, I don't know if they already had jobs and, and how, how that worked out. Um, but I know they've been rushing, uh, you know, to get married and, uh, I didn't have a place to stay. So obviously you have to learn as you go and you make mistakes and and you're in, like, I'm 34. So I realized when my dad was my age, I was already a teenager, like, I, and, and he already been like, so I can imagine myself right now having a teenage child and how many mistakes I would have done. But because I don't have those children, I can also start to think, what would I do if I did? And, um, kind of give myself a little bit more time to think before I actually get to have children. Um, and speaking of uh, childhood trauma, I actually shared one with Reham because um, um, we've been working together for a while now as uh, in terms of coaching. And I shared a story that is, you know, we think of trauma as something that happened to us, usually physically, some negative, uh, you know, physical experience. But sometimes it's, at least to me, it was something that somebody said to me. Could be one line they said, and it stuck with me for 20 years. And it, it literally shaped my life, just a sentence or a few words somebody said. And in this case was that I always wanted to be like my dad. And I wanted, he was a hero for me. He was, he was you know, very um, elegant looking, handsome man who would be very capable, manually skilled, a very, very um, intelligent, but also had, you know, lots of talent, fixing stuff, building stuff, creating amazing things. And um, whenever, and, and I had lots of different things that had been said over the years, but I remember whenever, because he was so great, he would have this, um, aura about himself a little bit arrogant because of that and whenever I would come in to help do something he would say oh you're useless go you I don't want your help because you're useless you're just like oh you like he would be very impatient uh, whenever I try to do something manual like help him fix something screw or hold you know uh, some tools and help building stuff and I would be kind of useless because I, I wasn't very manually skilled and whenever he would say oh you you can't you can't do it you you're just useless um that would stay with me forever um and it's it's uh, in several years there was a few things like this and one of them was the fact that um I shared with Reham it was actually not from my dad but 
from a, a PE teacher at school uh, when I was supposed to take a part in a, in a athletics uh, sprint. And um, I was kind of getting a cold and my mom told me not to uh, take part in a race because uh, she didn't want me to get proper, you know, uh, properly sick. And the PE teacher uh, called me out on this and said that I'm a mommy's boy. And uh, those words, mommy's boy, stuck with me forever. And I wanted to do, since I wanted to be like my dad, I wanted to do everything. Uh, and, and over the past 20, something years, everything I did in terms of looking around the house, trying to fix something or relationships with women. I wanted to be like a proper man. I didn't want to be the mommy's boy. I wanted to be like, and literally it's still with me sometimes where you're just like, the masculinity is being threatened. If something comes up like this uh, because of those stupid uh, few words that he said that time. Really, really to that man, especially the sort of like one-liners. I remember yeah. one thing for me was when in, in school we had this sort of like singing or not even singing, it was in, in primary school where we were invited to bring along some, some music that we liked. And I was somebody who only listened to sort of like audio tapes of like little um, like Sherlock Holmes type things. And so I, I didn't have any CDs, you know, and so I bought something from a neighbor it just really wasn't me you know and so i felt like so ashamed to actually bring this thing in because i felt like man i'm actually not like the other kids in that regard and then somebody afterwards they like, called me like uh and jimmy said brillenschlange like like a, like a glasses snake and i was like what the fuck you know and it just like really i think made me really super super like yeah self-aware of that yeah i, I wear glasses and somehow that really irritated me for for quite a while and I, I felt like not like pretty enough or, or especially because it was also one of the um yeah, basically one of the most attractive like girls in our class and so it was like extra painful because it was like straight to your heart in a way you know yeah and I think it, it definitely has has impacted me in terms of my my, my confidence up to that point to, to awareness. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing so many descriptors from both of your stories and, and from the messages coming back to the topic of childhood trauma. And I'm noticing consistently there's this fear, there's this shame, there's guilt, rejection, failure, ultimately masks or facades of not being enough in some way or another. You want to talk about that a little bit, um, Tobias? I think it's the worthiness in the end that, that is the, the thing underneath it all. It's like, oh, I must not be good enough. I must not be worthy for somebody else to take interest. Because I think that's, that's basically where the whole like trauma thing comes in, where it's the absence of a compassionate witness. You know, like there is some event and I mean, the, the event itself, even though it's maybe like really horrible, if somebody's there and you can talk it through and you feel held, then the likelihood that it actually becomes traumatic is, is really, really small. But even if there's maybe something like really tiny and 
I didn't have someone to speak about it with, then gets internalized. And this is where, where then like energy presses down other energy and then it's more and more and more. And so I feel this is, I feel where then there's this whole like, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And it's becoming this filter of basically then going out into the world and looking for these opportunities to confirm that bias. And yeah, I think this is where, where it becomes just like when you have to snowball and make a little like snowman out of it and you just roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you, you, you build the thing up. And I feel then it, it's really, if you just have a snowball, you just need a little bit of sunlight and the thing will melt. And if you have a whole snowman, it takes a lot more light before it's all molten and dissolved, which, yeah, I, I feel this, this kernel of like not being worthy is at least for me, I feel the, uh, the piece that I'm, I'm still sort of like working on. And it, it, there's moments when it's like, it feels totally gone. And then there's moments, especially when, and I notice that when I'm not sticking to my own word or to my own commitment to myself, for example, I say, okay, six o'clock, I want to stop work at six o'clock. But then there's days when I feel like, oh, I just work a bit longer. And then I, I notice my body's like, Toby, you're, you're bullshitting yourself, man. You know, <laughs> just like, and it, it's really, I think this is, this is the, the thing with, with the worthiness for me where take the time to actually treat myself well and relax, basically being in a state of, of just being so that I can be open to the cool possibilities that come my way. And I think what, what it has been for me in kind of the grand scheme is that notion of not being worthy meant that I outsourced my sense of worth for others, which makes it so, so volatile. Where, whereas if I now feel I'm, I'm worthy inherently, then it seems like people confirm it a lot more often. While if I feel internally not worthy, but then hope to find it from someone else, they will reflect what they see. You know, and if, if they see somebody who's not worthy, they'll, and I mean, that's why relationships fall apart, you know? In the beginning, I felt like really confident. And then over time, I sort of like collapsed more and more sort of like into the relationship because that's how I saw my parents interacted. And so I felt like, okay, this is the model of what relationships are like. And I feel at that point was this, this worthiness that just had kind of like fallen apart which then my partner validated and treated me in ways that are just not cool. However, here's the thing, I'm not the victim, but I have not taken the responsibility of actually standing up and saying, I am worthy. You know, this morning it's your time to get up and I will stay in bed and actually have another like hour or so of sleep. And so, yeah, it's, it's really coming down to this notion from the very beginning of looking after myself and treating myself with the respect that I expect from the world and I mean ultimately I think it's the, the ultimate spiritual thing in a way as long as we hope to basically get something from the outside world that we don't have it's not going to work we need to be able to imagine the life that we want to live and then it will sort of manifest in the world around us would you agree that this negative experience that trauma or this lack of worthiness can be used as a fuel because I think I, I many times I've been using this as a fuel and uh, you know and obviously there's a there you can take it to the wrong 
level and you know search for achievement and success and money and whatever you want and then still find that the gap is not filled but i think there's a lot of very positive things that came from all this trauma for on my in my particular case in terms of my um, my growth in general because i'm becoming a better person because i felt not worthy because i i I even say sometimes that I started my business out of love. I wanted to feel loved by this girl. Uh, I wanted to her to find me attractive and like a really, you know, amazing guy. And the only way for me to attract her love was to be successful in business, which worked out very well for me because I've been doing quite well for the past year. But in general, I, I think you could use this as a fuel, just bearing in mind that if that's the only thing you're doing, you can, you can then at the end, when you achieve all those things, find that you know, there's not much there unless you build other parts of your life. That's what we do with Reham. We make sure um, I do other things in life than just work. Yeah, I think that is an element of you can, because I mean, effectively, it's, it's energy in, in one way or the other, and it's up to you how you channel it. The, uh, and I mean, to be honest, I, I relate to what you said, because the, the whole sort of like achievement thing of like getting four degrees and writing papers at MIT and all that stuff, I mean, that came from a place of like, I need to fucking prove myself, you know, yeah. and it, it came from that sense of, I want to be worthy, you know, I want to make the world academic society look at me and say like, he actually has something to offer. The interesting thing, however, was that basically like, nobody really gives a shit, you know? <laughs> like you, you can write all these papers and stuff, but in the end, it's not like they fall to your feet and like kiss your feet and be like, man, you're so amazing, you're a god. <laughs> I mean, that only comes from within, you know? And so I, I feel it's, we, we, I think we can use that lack of worthiness to drive and like have this like crazy ambition. However, the, the question is like, does the ambition actually deliver something that like truly fulfills in the end? And yeah, I feel that it's really, it's the intention, you know, like if, 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 you're, if you're having the awareness of, yeah, I want to impress this woman. And the, I mean, the question that out. I have for, for, yeah, the question I have for you maybe is like, why did you want to impress this particular woman? You know, like, what what was it that because here here's the question what was it that she was giving you or what was it that you were, were going to kind of maybe share or give to her i think it was both uh i really liked who she is so i thought okay so this is a woman for me this is exactly a kind of person i was looking for i know what kind of person i would have to be in terms of qualities um, to attract a person like this, because you know, if I was lazy and do nothing and be a loser, then I know that I wouldn't be able to attract a woman uh, of quality. So it actually raised my standards. It made me a better man in terms of my, um, you know, ha daily habits, in terms of my uh, commitment levels and, and productivity, but also just in general, becoming a, hu a better human being um so yeah i wanted to be with that 
kind of person and I liked her in particular and obviously she's attractive so I was attracted to her as well um, but also I think I was at the point of my life when I finally understood that it's not up to her um, to choose me in, in the sense of um, like if I want something good to happen in my life I need to take care of that um, and and that's why I, I reached the point where I'm like okay I had some you know bad relationships in the past and didn't work out and maybe there was some situations where I would blame someone else or I would be playing the victim but in the end I was like okay I'm gonna really work on myself I'm gonna make sure you know all the bases are covered and therefore I would be a good partner and a material for a partner. I'm not saying a husband yet because I don't know if that's the right uh, thing, but definitely a partner for sure. And I think it's interesting what, what you say there because I mean, what, what you've done, you, you've worked on yourself, you actually, you built this confidence within you. And so, I mean, totally right, man, because I mean, once we feel basically this lack of worth, I mean, I had the same thing. I mean, this is where I started, you know, and then it's like little by little, it kind of like doing one thing and growing a little bit in confidence and then feeling, oh, yes. this is awesome. Now I can actually do a bigger leap. And then that yes. grows the confidence foot. And it's absolutely, I totally relate to, to your story there of, yeah, you effectively grow and build who you are. And then yes. you attract like bigger and better things, maybe relationships or opportunities. Or well, not just that, because it also transformed transformed my life in general career i became a more confident person in general i became a good business person i, I in the past i had no idea if i can do business at all uh, i was just an aspiring person with a job now i know that i can do this uh, you know it's it's relationships with people uh, public speaking getting on camera uh, more than just only behind it, you know, um, and not being uh, afraid of speaking my mind or just expressing my opinion, uh, because now I do feel worthy. Uh, although sometimes there's still those little voices that can be like, oh, I don't know, but it's definitely less, uh, it's quieter voice than what it used to be in the past, but the, the goals are bigger. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's like one thing, you know, kind of, the, the greater your future, the, the better your present in a way. And so I think that there is this notion of this, this aspiration of like aspiring to become someone. And then yeah. it's really cool to hear how you then started building different routines and through building these routines, you became more confident. And I mean, this is the thing. I noticed this for myself too. I just radiate something totally different. And suddenly I can talk to people like the ambassador of Turkey or something where I previously where I felt like, what the fuck? Like, who are you told me to do that? You know? And now I feel like, man, we are peers, you know, because we are both working on changing the world. And so then, then so suddenly there's just this different radiance in a way. And yeah, it's law of attraction, man. It's really, really beautiful to hear how you've like used it for yourself. It's awesome. So we're going to, um, I, I, I hate to say we're going to have to end, but because um, this is such an amazing topic and it has so many different layers that we could bring into you know, each of, of your life experiences and, and, and learnings. Um, Tobias, if you can leave our viewers that are wanting to transition, 
to take that leap of faith, um, to start their journey of, I am worthy. What are some tips that you would leave with them uh, for them to work on? Like, for example, unleashing their trapped emotions, anything around the, that and any, any other points that you would like to leave with them today? I think the, the, the biggest thing is we to reframe from seeing trauma as something that's sort of something that's holding you down to effectively trauma being the heap of gifts. And it, it's just your, your first thing is just like open one of the ribbons and actually look what's inside and see what beautiful thing you have learned from it or potentially still can learn from it. And when it comes to the worthiness, I feel basically what we touched on with, with Alan is a, is a really interesting and important one. It's just these tiny little wins of building like one small habit or, I mean, what, what, what I actually started doing was I wrote I journaled for like years and years. And it, it's, it's the thing that I feel for me just busy brain dump things onto paper because once it's on paper it's effectively gone and it creates a space within me so um, that was the most powerful thing and I mean after my breakup I, I just wrote so much and at some point I felt like huh there's nothing more to write and so I now journal totally different I journal now in a very future focused state another thing is I think proper sleep and proper food is really really important because basically what I said earlier, our, our body stores the trauma. And if the body feels not well looked after, then it will hold on to it. But once I started actually, yeah, really cherishing my body and treating it with proper sleep and proper food. And then there's this notion of, oh, I'm actually worthy. You know, I'm, I'm worthy to, you know, look after myself well or wear nice clothing or like have a proper haircut or beard cut or whatever you know so it, it, it's really all these little things of actually just doing something good for yourself that communicates a level of care a level of love and just do really small things like build a tiny tiny habit and then the cool thing with habit building is do the habit and maybe just like one push-up if you want to get in shape or something and be like all right It'll be awesome, you know, because this is the thing, like our body loves positive emotions. And so, um, yeah, celebrate yourself for the beautiful person you are when you've done a thing that you're actually proud of for yourself. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Alan, for joining us. Um, I love this topic. I think we should have him back. What do you think, Alan? Have him back Absolutely. for one more go on this one because there's so much to talk about. But um, with that said, I want to leave you with, um, a, it's a quote that I read from Kate uh, Northrup. It's actually about money and money mindset, um, but it, it was powerful. So here it goes. Let the amount you've moved your body this week be enough. Let the effort you put into the project, whatever project that may be for you right now, be enough. Let the amount of time you spend really truly being with your kids be enough. Let the amount of sex you're having be enough. Let the love you have to give and to receive be enough. The world doesn't need you busy. The world needs you here, present, and it's enough. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, join us uh, for our next episode of the Genuine Men's uh, Chat Show, which will be released this Friday. Yes. Um, it's our um, 
it's actually a really special episode um, because it's the best ofs from um, we, uh, from uh, season uh, of season one, from episode one to episode six, and some out um, some some fun uh, outtakes that we've kind of put in there as well um, to keep everybody um, entertained. But in addition, we also have our podcasts and we have our next Zoom live next week. And we're talking about the current um, issues around racism uh, happening all over the world, especially in the US right now. So share, like, and follow the Genuine Men's Chat on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Join the Genuine Men's Chat Facebook group to join other men in the discussion of such this such an amazing topic. And remember our motto in 2020 is, many men, many conversations. Have you taken your seat at the table? <laughs>